So if you couldn't tell, we're in the middle of celebrating this holiday of Sukkot. Chris and I were talking about this is one of my favorite holidays. I enjoy coming together as a community. Last Sunday, we came together. We built the sukkah outside. My husband had a vision for one inside because it's so hard on the expressway to have services outside, although we have tried that in years past. So we brought a little bit of the sukkah in here. I love celebrating together as we did Wednesday night and already today. I like to be in the sukkah and reflect on what this holiday means and and God's goodness to us. Uh, On Wednesday night, we had a great time celebrating. I shared in a little drosh there just about some of the themes of Sukkot, uh, talking about the sukkah itself represents God's protection over us and his provision. We talked about uh, the lulav and etrog, speaking of unity as we wave those four species together. And we talked about it being the Feast of Ink Gathering, the, the Feast of Harvest, and how God wants to bring Jewish and Gentile people, as we sung that song to, this morning, Jew and Gentile together, to a faith in Messiah and uh, into this community. And one of the other major themes of this holiday, as my t- title says, is joy. And uh, in fact, it's known as Man Simkatenu, the song we sang, the season of our joy. And it's this theme that I want to speak on. And if you've been here for any length of time, Uh, I've spoken on this theme many other times at Sukkot uh, because it's an important theme uh, to us. uh, But joy is not something that should be relegated only to this holiday. As my husband and I say throughout the year when we go through the Modim, the Modim give us an opportunity to focus on one truth or aspect of God's word and God's character. But it doesn't mean that that theme cannot be carried into the rest of of the year. So even though we just came from the 10 days of awe and the time of introspection and reflection and and repentance, we shouldn't just leave repentance behind. You know, every day we should have that heart to say, God, search me and try me, see if there's anything in me to to be clean before him. And, And so we want to also take this joy and not just relegate it to, okay, here's Sukkot, I get a dance and, and act a little crazy with a rabbi, but no, I want to be joyful throughout the year. And that's why I'm going to encourage you, check your joy thermometer. So reading uh, from a couple of passages in the Torah that talks about this holiday, first from Vayikra, Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 40, and it says that, it says that on the first day, you are to take choice fruit, palm fronds, thick branches, and river willow, willows, and celebrate or rejoice in the presence of Adonai, your God, for seven days. And that's what we have here in our lulav. And then there's the etrok there in front of it. Then in Devarim, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says, You are to keep the festival of Sukkot for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and wine press. Rejoice at your festival. Can you say that with me? Rejoice at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female slaves, the Levi'im and the foreigners, orphan and widows living among you. That pretty much covers everybody. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, you're included in this command to rejoice. Seven days you are to keep the festival for Adonai your God in the place Adonai your God will choose because Adonai your God will bless you in all your crops and in all your work. So you are to be full of joy. Can you say that with me? Full of joy. Now, we can be full of a lot of other things, just saying, but God wants us to be full of joy. This is his command. So I was reading an article that talked about a book written by Rabbi Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg, 
And in this book called The Eternal Journey Meditations on the Jewish Year, he described four different types of joy that are connected with Sukkot, but really should be applied in our lives throughout the year. And uh, these are not necessarily in the order he gives in his book, but I wanted to use these four as the basis for my message today because these are thoughts that are based on biblical principles, and I'm going to share those scriptures with you as I go through this message. So the first joy he talked about was Simchat Halev, joy of the heart. Sukkot is a time when we think of God's protection and love, he said. The Sukkot represents God's protective present, which was spread over the Israelites in the wilderness like a canopy or cloud of glory. And this represents an inner joy of being in touch with oneself and in touch with others, he says. This joy can come through prayer and study as well as compassion and beauty and love. I start with this particular statement because when we look at the other three here in a few minutes, we're going to understand that without having a joyful heart, without having joy in our heart, we will never be able to experience these other joys that we're going to talk about or experience the fullness of what Adonai has for us. So I'm here to tell you that every single person in this sanctuary or listening to this podcast, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Okay, everyone look at me. I'm going to say this because you're not very good at responding. That means you. Okay? That means you on this side. Every single person listening to this message, whether here today on the podcast, whether a year from now, it doesn't matter. Every single person can walk in real joy every day. Say with me, every day of our lives. We have, again, just finished the high holiday season, a time of reflection, repentance, and speaking, Rabbi Michael did on Yom Kippur about the assurance of atonement through the blood of Yeshua. Think about it. My name, your name, if you believe in Yeshua as the Messiah, is written in the book of life. Hallelujah. Amen. That alone should be cause for rejoicing. As my husband and I were reflecting last night and this morning getting ready, you know, the reality is Yeshua is alive. Do you understand that? He is alive. And because he is alive and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you and for me, and he is alive and that same resurrection power is in you and in me. That, my friend, should be enough cause for rejoicing that I could close my iPad and we could all go and eat. But I have more for you. Ah, too bad, Rabbi Carol, you psyched us out. But think about it. My name, your name, is written in the book of life. Friends, we should be joy magnets, attracting other people to us because of the joy of the Lord that is just oozing out of us. However, too often, what people see in us doesn't really attract them either to us or to God. They see a downcast face. They see discouragement and unhappiness. They see this little, you know, cloud, like one of that comic strip character that has that little cloud always on his head. Which one is that? Linus? Okay. There's probably several of them, but. Well, my friends, this should not be. We of all people on the earth should be the most joyful. There should be a spring in our steps and a song on our lips throughout the week. People should be attracted to you and to me and not repelled by us. Selah. I'm just going to say, you know, in this last year, you know, someone came to the congregation and they found out someone came here and they were like, they were ready to walk out the door. 
Okay, friends, that shouldn't be. You should attract people to yourself, not to you yourself, but you get it, to God in you, right? That God in you should, should attract people to you. And when you and I walk in the joy of the Lord, they're going to be drawn to us like bees drawn to honey. So I'm going to give you the secret to walking in joy. You want to hear it? Okay, thank you, Lucia. Okay, what's the secret? The one main secret to walking in joy. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Let me say it again. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Now, I'm inside your brain right now, and I can hear some of you saying, Rabbi Carol, you have no clue. You just don't get it. My life is miserable. I can hear you saying that in your head right now. My life is miserable, Rabbi Carol. I don't have any reason to rejoice. I want to tell you that's not true. Yeshua says, in this world, you will have tribulation. In other words, there's going to be some tough stuff we go through. But be of good cheer, joy, because I have overcome the world. And because he have over, has overcome the world, the implication is that you and I, too, will overcome the world. And if we could just grab this one principle that joy is not dependent on my circumstance, joy would never escape us again. This is a thought that we have. I'll have joy if I get a husband or a wife. I'll have joy if I get a new job or if I get a promotion. If I could move to a new place, then I would be joyful. And that's happened. You know, people have moved from Long Island. Some have come to us and some have not as their spiritual leaders. And, uh, you know, they are moving and they think that in their moving, it's going to be much better. And I know the, the history of some of them. And I want to tell you, things didn't improve. In fact, for quite a few, things uh, got worse because it's not your circumstances that are going to determine your joy or the blessing of God upon you. So we say, if my life would change, I could be joyful. If my husband or wife would just change and get their act together, my goodness, 40 years and he's still leaving his socks on the floor. Okay, right? On my side of the bed, too. No, no, that's not my, oh. (laughs) If my kids would be different, then I would have joy. If I won the lottery, then I would be joyful. Listen to me. The reality is, in one week, you could get a new husband, a new job, a new home, a new car, all in one week, and it would not, listen to me, not change your joy thermometer. You might be happy temporarily, but it's not going to change your joy thermometer because joy is not dependent on your circumstances. One writer said it like this. Secular dictionaries define joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessions which one desires. He went on to say the world's definition of joy is synonymous with the definition of happiness for both of these emotions are dependent on what happens in our lives. As I said, if we could truly grab this truth 
internalize it, and apply it in our lives, we would never struggle with maintaining joy in our lives, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You know, I could sit down and commiserate with you over this past year, over this past couple of months that have had its challenges for me, over the last 10 years that have had a, a multitude of challenges for me and my family, and I probably could get you pretty depressed by talking about some of those things. But in the midst of whatever I go through, I have a, a, have a choice, and we all do have a choice to rejoice in God, okay? A choice to not allow our circumstances to dictate the joy that he has placed within us, the joy of our salvation. Yeshua told his Talmudim in Yochanan chapter 16 that they were going to experience grief because he was going to be taken away from them uh, through death. However, that grief would soon be turned to joy when he would come back to them, when he would be raised from the dead, and he is alive today. And he said this to them in verse 22, Then your hearts will be full of joy, and no one, say it with me, no one will take your joy away from you. Friends, Yeshua is alive, alive, alive. And because of that, there should be great joy in your heart and in my heart because it means that I will live for eternity. It means that I will have his blessing upon me in this life. So we cannot let any circumstance take our joy away from us. Do not let your boss or your coworker or your spouse or your child or the circumstances that you find yourself in take joy away from you. Don't let anything or anyone rob you of the joy of your salvation. Nehemiah 8.10 tells us this. The joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. No wonder the enemy works to try to rob us of our joy. Because when you have no joy, you have no strength. And many of you are walking around weakened spiritually, which affects you physically and mentally and emotionally because the enemy has robbed you of the joy of your salvation. I want to encourage you on this day of Sukkot, recapture your joy. To say to the Lord, restore the joy of my salvation and take that joy into 5778 with great expectation of his goodness. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean your circumstance is going to change. I'm just going to tell you that. It doesn't mean that everything is going to now uh, flip around. But you will change in the midst of the circumstance. And that is a big, big difference. Because you can walk through any circumstance when you walk in the joy of the Lord. Because with his joy comes his peace. The second thing he talked about was simcha shel re'iyah. The joy of coming before Adonai. And he went on to say in this article writing about this book, said originally when the temple existed in Jerusalem, this joy referred to actually making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But now this joy is in the joy of gathering as a community at the synagogue of filling God's spiritual presence in communal worship and communal gatherings. Literally, it means the joy of seeing, seeing God's presence. And it made me think of Tehillim 122. When the psalmist says, and this is from the message translation, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. Isn't that beautiful? My heart leaped for joy. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's wall, talking again about the pilgrimage feast going up to Jerusalem. The house of God, this phrase here represents his presence. For the psalmist, it was in Jerusalem. For us, it is here at Beth Emmanuel. What he is talking about, as you read through that psalm and other psalms, he talks about the pilgrimage feast and about going up to the tabernacle and the temple. And it's all about community worship. 
And he was excited to experience the presence of Adonai with others in his community. Friends, on a Saturday morning, you should get up and there should be great joy in your heart that you are coming to Beth Emmanuel. That you are coming to experience the goodness of God and you should come with expectation in your heart and you should come on time. Hint, hint, hint. Early. Hint, hint, hint. Okay? That's the rabbi's friendly hint. But come ready to worship the King of Kings in the Lord of Lords. Amen? Yes, we need to experience him on our own in our, in our daily times of devotion. And, and if you don't do that, then it's going to be hard for you to worship here. But there is something There is just something about worshiping God in the community setting that is so important for our spiritual growth. God details it for us in the scriptures. In Hebrews, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so much more so as you see all these strange things happening. All right. Strange things happening in our world today. Okay. Hurricanes, mass shootings, all this, this stuff, this evil that is in our world. Correct. Well, that's why we should come together and come together with joy saying, oh, I am so glad that I get to worship you today, God, with my family at Beth Emanuel. We should be excited to come to worship on Shabbat. Our hearts should be leaping for joy and we should be filled again with great anticipation and expectation of meeting on the corporate level with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When people come into this congregation, they should see exuberant worship because of the joy of the Lord. They should be standing back and saying, wow, you guys are really serious about this worship stuff. And our love for Adonai should be contagious. Now, my husband mentioned, he didn't know this was in my message, but he mentioned about being from the Northeast. You know, I'm not from the Northeast. And just to clarify, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Missouri. Uh, And I have a large family. I have five siblings, uh, a gazillion nephews and nieces. We counted a few years ago when we all got together for my mother's celebration. This is just immediate family, not my cousins and things, uh, et cetera. I think there were 65 of us. We've had a few more added to that. So uh, when we get together, we can be pretty loud. Uh, if you're at my son and daughter's bar and bar mitzvah, uh, we were the table in the corner that was very loud. That was my family. Uh, so we celebrate special occasions with enthusiasm. We get excited about our sports teams, the Royals and the Chiefs, by the way, 4-0. and Just saying, that was a very good record so far. We'll see how they go. So when I come to worship, I come to express with my voice, and my whole being, the joy of being in God's presence. Now, I've shared many times with the congregation that I grew up so self-conscious of worshiping because as a teenager, I was constantly told, you can't sing worth a lick, Carol. Just let your sister sing. And my sister has a beautiful voice if she listens to this podcast, Peggy. And she was even in a part of a group that traveled there in the Midwest, right? I'll tell it to Peggy so she can teach us. So I was so self-conscious about singing, you know, that even when we got married and there would be a song or something, my husband would say, sing it to me. Oh, I'm going to sing it to you. You know, I'm going to sing this to you. Right? But there was a moment, and I can remember, a moment in a service where I just felt a freedom from that self-consciousness break off me, that, 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 that I can worship God. So... 
You know, I tease about being the joyful noise section, but if you stand by me in worship, you're going to hear me because I can be pretty loud. And even if you don't stand by me, you can sometimes hear me (laughs) because I want to make my praise to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the lover of my soul. I want to declare how much I love him and worship and adore him. And friends, you should do the same. Even if you are from the Northeast, it doesn't matter. There needs to be great joy in this sanctuary when we come together. Think about it. We did a series on worship this summer, and those weren't just words for you to hear and then continue life as normal. We shared those messages to stir you and to bring you to a new level in your worship of God at home and here in the sanctuary. So let me tell you, it is okay to clap your hands. Can you clap your hands to the Lord right now? Amen. That's a very Jewish thing to do. Read the book of Tehillim over and over. We didn't sing this song today, which has a very fast dance to it, so thank God we didn't. Clap your hands, oh you people. Shout unto the Lord. Okay, that's from the Psalms. So it's okay to clap your hands. It's okay to move your feet. Oh, that's a challenge. I know some of you think, oh, I have two left feet, Rabbi Carol. Doesn't matter. Chris and Adeline and I will keep you turning in that circle up there. We will not let you you down. Move your feet. Can you stomp your feet together? We do it at perm time. Stomp your feet and worship to Adonai. Okay, not as good as our clap. Well, well. It's okay to give a shout to the Lord with your voice. Can we give a shout to the Lord? Hallelujah! And friends, it's okay to smile when you're worshiping. I mean, wow, what a novel idea. Put a smile on your face. You know, I mean, all the statistics, it takes less muscles to smile than to frown and all this sort of stuff. But it's okay to smile in worship. Think about it. God loves you and... God is rejoicing over you in heaven, right? Seven, nine, ten. He's rejoicing and dancing and twirling over you. You can't cut a rug for God? Come on, guys. Let us worship him with exuberance, right? Come together in this sanctuary, okay? We, I want to tell you that 5778 may be a year of great freedom for this congregation. And I speak prophetically over this congregation and over you that it would be a year of great freedom in the area of worship May each one of you experience the joy of his parents' presence from the front of this sanctuary to those who sit in the back. May you be moved up to the front from the nursery to the junior Shabbat to our youth. I pray that great joy will overtake us and that we will come together with exuberant worship such as we have never experienced before. Amen. Again, it is okay to be loud in the sanctuary. Psalm 47 is the one that says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with loud songs of joy. Amen. So worship in the Tanakh was not a quiet, reserved experience. Thus, Michal's disdain for her husband, David, when he was bringing the ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem because he was really exuberant in his worship. And she did not like that. And she was embarrassed by that. Friends, 
You can get embarrassed by me all you want. It's not going to stop me from worshiping God because I was hindered. I listened to the lies of hell. It wasn't the people. It was the lies of hell that kept me for many, many years from expressing my worship to God. I don't care who's around me now. I will shout. I will sing. I will dance because he is worthy of my praise. And so I want to encourage you to get out of yourself. Okay, it's not about you. People aren't watching you. You may think everyone's looking at you. No one's looking at you. I'm just going to tell you right now. No one's looking at you. And you just need to lavish your love on God. Number three, Simcha Shel Mitzvah, the joy of the commandment. <clears throat> and this article went on to say that there is joy in the practically, uh, practicality of fulfilling the commandments of singing, baking, building, it's fun to build a sukkah, to shake the lulav. And when we celebrate Jewish life, there's much joy that can be had in these activities. It made me think of the scripture from the New Covenant. Yochanan Allah, 1 John 5, 3. And the Talmud says, For loving God means obeying his commands. Moreover, his commands are not burdensome. Can we say that? Can we read that verse together up there? For loving God. <laughs> you see, when you experience the joy of fulfilling the mitzvot of the commandments of God, it's not a burden, okay? And the psalmist declares this over and over again, especially in Tehillim 119, where he says, I will delight in your word. I delight to do your will. Verse 14 says, I rejoice in the way of your instruction, meaning your word, more than in any kind of wealth. Verse 16, I will find delight in your regulations. Again, the word, the mitzvot. And I will not forget your word. 18, open my eyes so that I can see the wonders from your Torah. See, living out the truth of God's word is not a burden. It becomes burdensome when we think of it as obligation. And sometimes that's what happens. Let's face it. We get into a routine and, okay, oh, I have to go to service. And, and you walk in like it's an obligation. Let me tell you, you know, oh, I have to get up and read the Bible today. Oh, I have to pray, go to prayer. Oh, you know, I have to share my faith. No, friends. When we reflect on the goodness of the Lord towards us and his great love demonstrated on our behalf through the sending of his one and only son to die for us, then his word becomes our delight, and it is a delight to do it. Friends, I don't know about you, but I was lost. I was lost in my sin. Do you understand that, that before Yeshua, that's where each of us were. We were lost in mire and muck in the sin, and we were destined to spend eternity separated from God in hell's fire. Yes, it is real, but God redeemed me. He saved me at a very young age. As you know my testimony, I was six years old, but I've said this over and over again. God saved me just in time because he alone knew what my life would have been if I had not come to faith at six years old. That, my friends, that love, I can remember this congregation, again, we moved in around the, the, to this house, right around the, the corner from this, and my father came and said, you know, this is how they do things at this, this congregation, what do you want to do? And, and, you know, I remember saying, wow, if Yeshua loved me so much that he died for me, I can do this for him. 
And that was my motivation for, for uh, doing a certain practice that, that they did at this congregation. It wasn't out of legalism or anything, but it was because I realized how much God loved me. And when you truly understand how great God's love is for you and how much he has done for you, just again reflecting on that he died for your sins, that he is alive, and because he is alive, that resurrection power is available to you, that in and of itself should bring a heart of gratitude towards him, and a desire to do his mitzvot. It's not a burden to keep the Ten Commandments. It's not a burden to follow the other principles of his words. It is a joy to love my neighbor as myself. It is a joy to give Adonai his tithe and my offering. It is a joy to celebrate the feast. It is a joy to keep Shabbat. It is a joy to pray and to seek his face. It is a joy to help others in need. It is a joy to stand up for what is right. It is a joy to be persecuted for my faith. It's a joy to live a Messianic Jewish lifestyle according to the word of God. It's not a burden. It's not a burden. There's joy in doing these things, and these joys come because of the love relationship that we have with God. And finally, I'll close with this, and then we'll get ready to go out to the sukkah. It's simchat shel bayit, the joy of having a home, of belonging to a family and to people with history, on Sukkot, we leave our permanent homes, the article said, to eat and pray and to reflect in our good fortune of having shelter. And ultimately, we feel enjoying having a family and to help those who don't have as much joy in this regard. So our homes should be filled with the joy of Adonai as we celebrate his festivals and honor him with our lives. I want to say too many times our homes are filled with tension and strife. And it takes away from the peace of God and definitely the joy of Adonai that we are supposed to be experiencing. So just a couple of things to encourage us how to keep joy in your home. First of all, watch your attitude towards one another. Think about it. Our family knows, your family knows each other better than anyone else. And in the familiarity of our family, it is so easy to let things go and not be as thoughtful towards one another's. In Mishle 15, it says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. We need to be kind and happy towards one another. Speak words that encourage each other. Mishle 15, 23, a man finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how goodly is a timely word. Words that encourage your spouse, your child, your parents. And finally, keep your focus in your home on the main thing, Yeshua and his word. In Yochanan 15, 11, Yeshua said to his Talmud demon to us, I have said this to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. You see, this is Yeshua's desire for you and for me, that his joy would be in us. How do you receive the joy of the Lord? through receiving Yeshua as your Messiah. He imparts that joy into you, and that your joy would be complete, it would be full. In the context of Yochanan 15, he talks about the beginning, abiding in the vine, that he is the vine and we are the branches, and that we need to abide in him and that we need to obey his words. That's the context here, and that his joy is in us, and it will be complete as we stay connected to him. As a family, I want to encourage you to set the tone that you will be a family where Adonai is the number one priority. It's hard to worship God, as I said here at Beth Emanuel, if you don't worship him at home. Your family joy comes like your personal joy does from always staying centered on Adonai. So I want to encourage you as I close today, how is your joy thermometer? I pray that in 5778, it would go off the charts, that you will be filled and overflowing with great joy, and that will spread to those around you. Amen. I'm going to give opportunity before we uh, get ready to say our Sukkot prayer. Perhaps 
you don't have a personal relationship with Yeshua this morning, you don't have the joy of uh, knowing him and the joy of that salvation. Well, the good news is today you can experience that. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. I want to encourage everyone to pray this with me. It's a prayer recognizing that without God, uh, we cannot atone for our sins, and we want to receive uh, what he has done for us. So Adonai, I confess that I have missed the mark. I have a problem with sin, and no matter how much I try to take care of that problem on my own, it still remains. I understand that my sin separates me from you. I choose to turn from my sin today and to trust in Yeshua as my means of atonement. Through my acceptance of his sacrifice, On my behalf, I know that my sins are atoned for. He paid the full penalty for my sin. I choose to give you my life today. Help me to live it for you with a grateful heart for the eternal life you have given through me. May I experience the joy of your salvation. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we uh, recite the Amidah. As you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you uh, that God loves you and that that is the first step in developing a relationship with him. Talk to Rabbi Michael or myself afterwards. We want to encourage you uh, so that you could grow in, in coming to know God more fully and that uh, he can you know, bless you as you grow in that relationship. So join me in this prayer only in English, the Amidah for Sukkot. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, and God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah. You are the creator of all and greatly to be praised. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers and of our Messiah. On this Sukkot, we are reminded of that ancient command to dwell in tents. We remember by this that you provided for our ancestors in the wilderness, They were given supernatural food, their clothes did not wear out, and you led them through the wilderness. So on this festival, we are to remember that you are Adonai Yirah, the Lord who provides. We are called to put our trust in you, not in our possessions, neither in houses, lands, or stored up treasure. Blessed are you, O Lord, who provides for your believing people. On this Sukkot, we recall that the Messiah Yeshua tabernacled in our midst. He used the ceremonies of Sukkot to teach concerning himself. When the lamps were lit in the court of the women, he proclaimed, I am the light of the world. We who walk in him do not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When the waters of libation were poured out, signifying pouring ourselves out before God, Yeshua said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Indeed, out of our inner being are to flow rivers of living water. That is the overflow of the Holy Spirit who dwells within. Blessed are you, O Lord, who gave Yeshua, the Messiah, to dwell among us. Sukkot is the time of the final fall harvest in your ancient land. All good gifts come from your almighty hand. So during this harvest season, you commanded us to rejoice for eight days. Blessed are you, O Lord, who provides the harvest in our ancient land. 
In ancient times, our priests offered sacrifices, not only for Israel, but for all the nations of the world. These sacrifices represented the 70 nations of the world. They were as prayers of priestly intercession that the world might come to your light and that the Messiah might be a light to the whole world. In the worldwide fellowship of Jew and Gentile, we already see the reality of that day to come. Blessed are you, O Lord, who led your ancient people to offer sacrifices for the nations. As Sukkot is the greatest harvest in Israel in the natural realm, so Sukkot points to the great harvest of people through the Messiah Yeshua. At the end of the age, there shall be a great harvest of peoples from every nation and tongue. In the age to come, all nations will acknowledge your kingship. We in faith proclaim this good news of your kingdom to all with the expectation of this great harvest. Blessed are you, O Lord, who brings forth a great harvest of salvation through your people in the name of Yeshua. On the first Sukkot of the age to come, the enemies of God will have been defeated. The rule of the Messiah Yeshua will be established on earth. Then shall be fulfilled the promise given through Zechariah. On that day, the Lord shall be one and his name one over all the earth. And that day, the Messiah shall rule with all his resurrected saints. All nations shall come to Jerusalem and celebrate the feast of Sukkot. If they do not come, they shall not have prophetic rain. You provide the rain which produces the harvest. You will be acknowledged as the provider over all the earth. The rain is also a symbol of your spirit, which shall be poured out over the whole earth. Great shall be the celebration of Sukkot, the worldwide celebration of the kingdom of God. The knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who establishes your worldwide kingdom under the rule of Yeshua and has given us Sukkot that we might in faith Look forward to that day. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give the Lulav and Etrog to my husband.